We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome, Bears fans, to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. We're recording this episode on Wednesday here, March 22nd, and are my eyes deceiving me? We're almost through the month of March here, You say, Like, it feels like this year has already gone by so fast already. We're about over a week so far into uh, the new league year, into free agency for the 2023 season. Um, a lot of activity over the past week or so, but now things are starting to slow down as a lot of discussion goes towards the draft, and we're certainly going to be covering a lot of draft stuff today. But, but before we get into that, you said, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well, and you're right. I mean, February kind of flew by. It seems like just yesterday we were at the NFL Scouting Combine listening to Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson talk about how they would love to play for the Bears. And now we're coming up on the month of April here in about another week, week and a half. So everything's just moving so quickly. But it also seems like just across the NFL world, a lot of the news cycle has kind of taken a bit of a hit. And what I mean by that is it's like, we're not getting, you know, free agent signings, like 10 to 15 of them an hour. It's kind of like, you know, we get a couple, probably five or six throughout the day. You know, we had Elijah Moore being traded from the Jets to the Browns today. We had McCall Hardman signing with the Jets. And then I think about two hours before this, we started recording, there's reports that, the wide receiver market's going to begin to take off with Odell and Aaron Rodgers looking to team up in New York. And then DeAndre Hopkins now going for a day three pick instead of the second round pick that everyone thought he was going to go for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the wide receiver market, really the market in general, has been pretty slow in free agency over the past week or so. Uh, the last time we uh, talked on this podcast, you know, we covered the first few days of, of free agency for the Bears, going over their some of their biggest bigger signs like Tremaine Edmonds, obviously um, T.J. Edwards, 
uh, Demarcus Walker, um, the DJ Moore trade, and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, like you said, like the rest of the NFL, the Bears really haven't been as active over the last week or so. It's, it's felt like you know, ever since Thursday and Friday, really this entire this entire week, basically. Um, just not a lot to talk about from free agency knows. I guess like if you want to talk about some of the names that we did not discuss last week because we recorded before these guys were signed, but the Bears made a couple of signings on Thursday and Friday, um, a couple of one-year deals. And look at Andrew Billings, defensive tackle from the, the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, Robert Tunyon, tight end from the Green Bay Packers, and Deontay Foreman from the Carolina Panthers to play running back for them here. So again, all these guys signed on cheap one-year deals. You know, not long-term pieces, but guys that are just brought in to kind of, you know, help, you know, add some veteran depth to the roster and kind of, you know, make sure that the Bears aren't going into the draft with too many glaring holes on the roster that they have to fill in the draft, which there are still some holes in the roster, I will say, and we're going to get into that, especially uh, along the defensive line, which is going to be the subject of today's episode. But, you know, these aren't any moves to, I think, get, you know, too hung up about, I think they're solid moves overall. And, you know, certainly something that should help the bears for the 2023 season. What were your, what were your kind of general thoughts on these signings? I will say I wasn't really surprised at any of the signings because this is a team where they lack so much depth that it's almost like, you know, and I know this is being incredibly nitpicky, but it's almost like any step signing that the bears end up making is an upgrade over whatever they trotted out last year. I mean, you look at tight end last year, you had Cole Komet, who was without a doubt, the bears primary option in the passing game. You then had guys like Ryan Griffin and James O'Shaughnessy who again, were just incredibly lame duck signings. I actually would have been better with the team rolling out Chase Allen for an entire season, the undrafted free agent from Iowa State, rather than any of the vets that the Bears decide to roll out. You look at guys like Andrew Billings, who, again, they have some NFL experience, which is better than what the Bears had last year, quite frankly, because you know you're in trouble when your most consistent and experienced defensive lineman is Justin Jones. Again, no shot at Justin Jones. I think he was pretty good last year for what the bears were paying him and what he was asked to do. But still like every single one of these guys is a clear upgrade. You look at the Dante Foreman signing. That's just something where the bears signed him a day or two after David Montgomery ended up signing with the lions, which again, happy for David that he got his contract, but I will miss him in the locker room and the media room at house hall. Cause he was always a joy to talk to. But you just ultimately look at it and you're like, the Bears are at the point now in free agency where they're done swinging big. Yeah, they could take chances on guys like Frank Clark that are still out there. But then again, we're not trying to build the Kansas City Chiefs 2.0 here, according to Ryan Poles. It's more so just like, hey, we're going to build our version of the Chicago Bears. And so right now, you know, whatever depth Poles, Cunningham, and Eberflus decide is what will be the big signing. And, you know, just a quick note, I went back and I looked at the Bears transactions from the 2022 offseason. There was at least a four-week period from, like, March 19th to right up until the NFL draft where the Bears did not sign a single player. Now, part of it is because this team had limited resources last offseason, but the other half of it just comes down to the fact that once the second and third waves of free agency hits – 
Ryan Poles, Ian Cunningham, Matt Eberflus, like their football philosophy is pretty much, hey, we're going to take it much slower than a lot of people actually think. Because if you look at it, I mean, the Eagles, the Colts, the Chiefs, those are also three teams, which again, where the three football guys at Hallis Hall come from. Those are also three teams where once the second and third waves of free agency hit, like they are just much, much, much quieter than a lot of people like to anticipate. And by the way, the Bears have, I think, like 40 something million in cap space right around there. I mean, we know a large chunk of that's going to go to some of these extensions that we should hopefully see handed out in the summer. Yeah, I think for the remainder of free agency, I think we're going to see, you know, hopefully some smaller signings just to add some depth to the roster. But I also think, like you said, they're going to be holding some cap space for extensions. Like Cole Komet, I think, is one that's probably going to get done this offseason. I'm not sure if Darnell Mooney is going to get done. Um, In fact, I'm not counting on Darnell Mooney getting done at this point because just of the way that the wide receiver market kind of went this off season, you know, it seems like the wide receiver market is starting to slow down unless you're one of the top guys in the NFL. Um, and then Jalen Johnson, I mean, we'll see, you know, it, it certainly sounds like that's not going to be getting done as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens there with some of those, but it also wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if the bears are holding on to cap space uh, in case they want to make, you know, a trade of some kind. You know, whether it is for, let's say, the Colts, they, they go full teardown rebuild. They they give up a DeForest Buckner because of Eberflus's, you know, uh, familiarity with them to come in and play that three-tech position for them. You know, there were some talks today about um, Ed Oliver, you know, potentially maybe looking to be on the outs in Buffalo. He's in the last year of his rookie deal. I personally wouldn't be a fan of that, but that's another discussion for another day. Um, but, you know, Washington, with all the defensive linemen they, they had, you know, they just – Resign Darren Payne to a huge deal. There's, I mean, they they can only keep so many of their defensive linemen. Like Montez Sweat's going to the final year's contract. Chase Chase Young is coming off a down year where he battled injury, um, going into the final year of his rookie deal. Unless you pick up their fifth year option there, so you know they can't keep everybody over there. So maybe they look to save some cap space to kind of maybe see if they can swing a deal for some of these other names in the market. Um, but we'll see. You know. It, Right now, they're standing at about $40 million in in cap space. So you would think they'd have to use that on something going forward here. But clearly, they're looking to just do little moves here and there and, you know, just upgrade the roster, you know, at good values right now instead of overpaying for anybody right now, which, I mean, if you were going to overpay anybody, this was kind of the year to do it just because of how much space they had. But clearly, Ryan Poles has taken a more measured approach with that. And with that measured approach means that the Bears have some needs to address across this roster still that haven't really been addressed. And the big one, I think, is going to be the defensive line, which we're going to be covering today, specifically towards previewing the defensive line positions for the upcoming NFL draft. So today, what we're going to be doing is today is going over um, previewing our edge position and interior defensive line position groups. Um, Basically, what we're going to do for each position, like our previous position previews is giving our top five players at each position group, our main sleeper at the position, our main overhype player at the position. And then at the very end of the podcast, going over how we think the Bears should address um, each position group in the upcoming NFL draft. And certainly you would think that the Bears would be very active given the state of the defensive line for the Bears right now. But we'll get into that as we go along here. For now, let's start off by going over this edge group, you say, because, you know, when you look at this edge class, this is a very deep and talented group. In fact, it's probably one of the deepest groups that I've seen come through the draft in a very long time. Um, 
you look into day two of this draft, even into day three, you're looking at guys that are there that, you know, should be, you know, potential starters, if not right away within the, the first two or three years of their NFL career, respectively, in the NFL. It's a very talented group of edge rushers. So when you look at the top of this class, you say, who are the five guys at the top here that really stand out to you and how would you rank them? You're right. It is such a deep edge class. And let me just say this for the record. The Bears have enough draft capital where I would not be surprised if they came away with two starting edge rushers because Travis Gibson's going into the final year of his deal. You've got Dominique Robinson, who's a bit of a wild card. And the Bears really were not aggressive in a free agency when it came to attacking edge rusher, which basically means Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are going to want to build this thing through the draft. Now, for me, the number one guy is Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama. You look at Will Anderson, just who he is as a prospect, who he is as a player. I mean, he really reminds me of Coley Mack coming out of Buffalo. But Anderson, I think, was more dynamic because of his football experience compared to Coley Mack. But I think the prototype, the measurables, and the build are certainly there. Will Anderson's a guy who's pretty much played all over the place. Some people like to call him Micah Parsons light. You look at his time at Alabama. I mean, he was lining up on the edge. He had his hand in the dirt. He was standing up at times as well. Played three tech and four tech, you know, really used physicality, toughness, has a high motor just to get after players. And one of the things I love about Will Anderson the most is I like to consider him a pure run defender. He's just so solid against the run. He's able to read and anticipate what's going to happen before it actually does. And then as a pass rusher, I mean, he knows how to get after quarterbacks with his high motor. So if you're looking for kind of the jack of all trades in this draft, it's without a doubt Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball. And I would say this is that after the Jalen Carter incident, which we'll get to Jalen Carter in a couple minutes here, Will Anderson is without a doubt the number one player in this class. Now, I understand because of where he's lined up. Some people like to call him Micah Parsons light. I don't really think he was ever on Micah's level coming out of college, but He's about as close to a Micah Parsons as you can get. And then number two, a Texas Tech guy, Tyree Wilson. Some people love Tyree Wilson. Some people absolutely hate him. I had one person tell me that Tyree Wilson's in the Big 12 playing at Texas Tech, and they don't play defense there, so he's just not a good player in general. But if you saw the image that went viral at the NFL scouting combine where he showed off his big wingspan, I mean, he's just tall he's long he's got length to his frame I mean he's really good against the run and then as a pass rusher I mean I think he plays with a really high motor and then just his natural strength it just shows up on tape so Tyree Wilson's a guy who again has a high ceiling and is gonna begin to realize that over the next couple of years so you're really gambling on potential number three is a local illinois kid who's going to the university of iowa but it's lucas van ness now van ness i think is the most intriguing wild card in this draft because there's no in-between consensus on him you either 
love him or you hate him. And I think that I'm in the category where I believe Lucas Van Ness has a really bright future ahead of him because the thing with him is this, is the strength is clearly there. He's a speed to power type edge rusher. And then when you look at him, right, he has a lot of burst, but also a lot of flexibility, especially around the hips. I mean, he's able to basically turn the corner with ease and then he's got a high motor as well. Now, if Lucas Van Ness has one red flag, I think the lack of starting experience really works against him. But he's a guy where, you know, a lot of people are willing to gamble on that potential. And number four is Derek Hall. I think that Auburn's been pretty solid when it comes to sending defensive linemen to the NFL draft over the last couple of years. We had Derek Brown a few years ago. This time it's going to be Derek Hall. Now, when you look at Derek Hall, I think the measurables are off the charts right he's about 6'3 251 had a pretty good scouting combine he's a guy that you look at and say the athleticism's there the strength is there as well as the power and he sets the edge real well but is so impressive as a run defender too and then ultimately you know what you're getting i think is a player who naturally is just developed into a leader during his time in college which is really encouraging to see from a young rookie and then number five i mean georgia's probably defensive you at this point right we can argue about that later but nolan smith is a player who you look at the bulldogs run to the national championship two years ago when they had the best defense in the nation i mean nolan smith i think was a solid part of that and you know he's fast he's violent i think he is physical too and just his motor never seems to be off you know he's so tough to i think bring down in the run game and then when you look at him right he's just always seemingly aware of where the ball carrier is so just excellent awareness i think really solid and fluid hips too in the sense that he's able to change direction with ease so nolan smith's a guy where you know some people are going to have him ranked higher and I would not be surprised if you selected in the first round, but I'm not going to say he's a top 10 pick. I think this class, you've only got Wilson and Anderson that are top 10 picks. The rest of the guys that I mentioned though, are like mid to late first rounders. Yeah. For, for me, uh, this class, you know, they're kind of like, especially for my top five, there are like three tiers within this kind of top five group. And I'll start with my first tier. It's, it's Will Anderson by himself. Uh, Will Anderson, you look at his career at Alabama. I mean, dude just was just productive. I mean, this guy was a beast all three years. And he was a starter there. Um, this past year in 2022, he ended up with 65 pressures, according to pro football focus, uh, which is a 17% pressure rate. So this guy uh, consistently got after the quarterback. And I think the Cleo Mack comp- comparisons, while, I don't think he's as good as Cleo Mack as a prospect coming out. You know, I do see some of the similarities there in terms of his ability to, you know, convert speed to power, um, the build, the, uh, the kind of frame that he has, the athletic comparisons there. You know, Will Anderson, I'm not sure if he has a ceiling that some of these other freak edge rushers over the past few years that have come out of the draft had, like, you know, Chase Young or Miles Garrett or Nick Bosa. I don't think he's on that tier of a prospect, but he's very damn close. And he's, you know, by far, I think the best edge rusher in this draft class. I think he's, you know, as safe as big as you can get. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on him because everyone knows how good Will Anderson is. He's a he's a consensus top five player in this draft. It's not top three, 
player in this draft and he should be taken within the first five picks, depending on how the quarterback situation, you know, goes at the top of the draft there. Now, when it comes to number two, I too have Tyree Wilson as my number two edge rusher. This guy finished with 50 pressures last year, according to football focus actually had the highest pressure rate among these edge rushers that, you know, I studied here, almost 20% of his uh, rushes resulted in a pressure. So very active, very, you know, productive in terms of, getting after the quarterback and just creating havoc for them. And like you said, like the biggest selling point for him is his length. Like this dude is long. He's, <laughs> if you listen to Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, he's like a Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus wet dream for what they want at a defensive line prospect. Like seriously, this dude, look at his interview. Like in the, you see the arm length, the wingspan, like dude's massive. Like he just, he just takes up a lot of room. Um, you know, he just, he, he makes a lot of sense for a lot of these teams and, you know, four or three defenses that want that longer, bigger edge, um, that can set the edge and um, play the defensive line spot, even like go inside, you know, and pass rush from there. Like he has a lot of the physical tools you're looking for, but he's kind of that start of that second tier that I talked about uh, when I look at these edge rushers here. And for me, just three edge rushers in that second tier. And these are guys that, you know, I'm not as comfortable taking early in the first round, but as middle first round prospects that probably aren't as polished or, you know, have some flaws to them, but have a ton of upside as well and things that they can develop and, and really become, you know, mainstay starters and impact starters down the line. Uh, these are guys we're taking a gamble on in the first round. And, you know, Tyree Wilson's the start of that, but then Nolan Smith from me out of Georgia is the next guy in that. And Nolan Smith, he's kind of the opposite of Tyree Wilson in many ways. He's kind of an undersized guy, um, you know, and only six foot two, 240 pounds. So he's not going to be a guy who's going to fit in, you know, a lot of, you know, four, three schemes. He's more of a pure three, four outside linebacker, I think in the NFL who can drop back in coverage a little bit um, only 32 inch arms. So again, not the longest guy doesn't have a ton of size, but where this guy really, you know, makes his money here is with his athletic system. The guy ran a four, three, nine, 40 at the NFL combine, um, very explosive 41 and a half inch vertical um, dude just gets after it too. In the run game, like that's one of the most surprising things for Nolan Smith is not only is this guy, super juiced up and quick and athletic and bursty, but he is a very physical player in the run game, sets a hard edge, knows how to evade blockers to get into the backfield, kind of knife his way around blockers and, and make plays in the backfield. Um, so he is an all around edge, even though a lot of people may look at his size and pigeonhole hold him into being just a, you know, third down pass rusher at the next level. I think he has the ability to be much more than that in the right situation, the right scheme. You know, and I've seen this comparison made a lot, but a lot of people have compared it to Hassan Reddick coming out of college. Hassan Reddick, you remember, edge player for the Eagles, had a huge season last year for Philadelphia, was maybe their best pass rusher this year um, for a group that led the league in sacks by a wide margin at 70 sacks this past season in Philadelphia as a team. Hassan Reddick was him and Hargrave were kind of the two best pass rushers of that group. And, you know, Nolan Smith, I think, I do see the comparisons there to the sound wreck, just undersized, but super bendy, super explosive, very fast. Once he gets around the offensive tackle, his closing speed to the quarterback is the best in this class. And then number four for me to kind of finish out that second tier is Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Like you said, like doesn't have a ton of experience, but when he was on the field, he was insanely productive as a pass rusher had 46 pressures for Iowa last year, 17% pressure rate, which um, stacks up very well with the top pass rushers in this draft class. In fact, when you look at the pressure rates for these top four guys, Will Anderson at 17%, Tyree Wilson at 19.5%, Nolan Smith at 
Uh, Lucas Van Ness at 17%. Those guys clearly separated themselves from the rest of these pass rushers in this draft class purely from a pass rushing standpoint. Um, but Lucas Van Ness, the thing that's going to have to like kind of hold him back as a prospect for me a little bit is he literally only has one pass rush move. And that's basically he just tries to bowl through the guy's chest, the, the offensive tackle's chest, and use that bull rush every single time. Like he, he can only win with power at this point. He only has one pass rush move. And, and it's effective. It's very effective, and it's going to be something that's going to be a calling card for him at the NFL level. But here's the thing with Lucas Van Ness is that he's going to have to develop other moves to his tool set because, you know, all the tackles in the NFL are going to know that, you know, he, he only has one move in his arsenal, and they're going to be able to shut that down pretty easily, especially if there's some of those bigger tackles who can anchor a little bit better and can handle that bull rush. But what you like about Lucas Van Ness is that this guy's a freaky athlete in his own right. Um, you know, about six foot five, 275 70 pounds. Like this guy ran at four, five, 40 uh, yard dash, closer to a four, six. But we get the point. This guy's explosive. He's fast, he had good agilities. Um, and you just look at him. He looks like a prototypical edge rusher from the build that he has. And just when he's wearing, you know, t-shirt and shorts. So um, he looks a part of an edge rusher. It, he's, he's clearly a developmental project at this point, I think closer to that, but if he puts it all together, like you're looking at a potential stud in a year or two, because he has all the tools. And if you can figure out, you know, a couple more pass rush moves, like watch out, this guy has a lot of talent. And then for my number five spot, this is where we get to that third tier of edge rushers. And there's, there's a, a lot of guys in this, in this area where, I'm not sure I'm comfortable taking them in the first round, but definitely in the early second round is where I think these guys are at their best value. And to start off that group for my number five edge rusher, I have Felix NDK Uzama out of Kansas state, um, a player who, you know, pretty good length. He's one of those guys where he doesn't really have any elite skill set or trait, but he's just very solid and well-rounded with everything that he does, you know, has pretty good length, has pretty good power, sets a pretty good edge, has a little bit of bend, but what really impressed me about him is that he is a student of the game when it comes to using a variety of different moves to get to the quarterback. This guy does not rely on just one thing like a Lucas Van Ness or a Nolan Smith to get after the quarterback. He has a bunch of different moves. He understands how to play against offensive tackles and set up counters. Um, and he can win in a variety of ways. So I really like um and DK Uzama as a very high floor player in this draft. Again, like I said, I'm not sure if I take him in the first round, but at the beginning of the second round, I think that's the sweet spot for him. And I don't think he's going to be a true like pro bowl, number one edge rusher in the NFL for an NFL team, nothing like that. But I think his, you know, his floor is pretty high and I think he's going to be a very quality number two defensive end edge rusher for a team in the NFL, because he's got a good skill set already. He has, good physical tools. And I think he's a very smart player that knows how to maximize the ability that he does have. So a couple honorable mentions for me as well, that I did not mention will McDonald out of Iowa state, you know, kind of similar to like Nolan Smith is like a three, four outside linebacker type BJ Ajilari out of LSU that I really like. And then miles Murphy is getting a lot of first round buzz. I'm not as high on him. I'll get to him in a little bit, or I'm sure we'll get to him in a little bit as well. But um, those are kind of the guys in that similar tiers as a, uh, I know DK Usama who are going to be, you know, late first round, early second round talents. But uh, we talked about the top guys in this class. You said, let's get to maybe some players that we think are overhyped in this draft class for this edge group, because again, there's a lot of talent in this edge group, but someone has to be a little bit higher on the board than we think they are because, you know, it's just the nature of 
the position here. So who's that guy for you? You say, who's the number one guy that you look at here and say, maybe he shouldn't be as high on draft boards as you know I have him basically. Well, first off, I fully agree with you. I have never been a fan of any of the Clemson guys, whether that's Miles Murphy or Brian Breesey, even though I do have Breesey ranked slightly higher than a lot of people admit, but I do think Miles Murphy's, Clellan Farrell 2.0, a guy who is not going to live up to expectations. But yeah, for me, listen, my overhyped guy without a doubt is Brenton Cox Jr. from Florida. You know, as much as I love kind of the measurables, and again, I did mock Brenton Cox to the Bears back in the winter time, but looking at him more, you know, he has the size and speed, but the reality of it is that I just think the inconsistencies pop up so much on tape to the point where you look at it and say, the guy's been in college for the last couple of years. Why can't he ever find that sort of consistent rhythm and just be able to go ahead and set the edge? There's also times where, you know, yeah, he's got speed, but he also just seems like a slow mover and he's not as fast as you would like him to be. And so essentially that's just something where, you know, Brenton Cox is the type of player where he could have a solid career as a rotational guy, but for a lot of people who are grading him as a late second round, early third round guy, I think he should be pushed way more down the board and should possibly be like a fourth or fifth round guy. Yeah. The other thing to mention about Cox is that, you know, he's been dismissed for both Georgia and the Florida uh, football program. So, you know, there, there might be something off the field there as well that kind of gives teams pause and whether they want to draft him highly. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not going to speculate on what the issue was for both those instances, but um, certainly something to keep note if, you know, it turns out that he drops in the NFL draft as well, um, because certainly teams look at those off field concerns when it comes to evaluating these players. Um, for me, my overhyped guy, you know, there were two main candidates I had. I already mentioned one of them, Miles Murphy for me. Um, it sounds like you know he was playing through an injury in 2022, which is why his tape may not have been has been as good as his 2021 film. But look at his 2022 tape, like uh, just looking at the advanced metrics here for him, like only an eight percent pressure rate. And I talked about some of those other top guys who are in you know the upper teens, like the fact that he was you know half that basically is is a little bit of a red flag when you're talking about him as a first round prospect. But you know. It sounds like he's probably going to be a late first round guy. I'm not sure I agree with that. But to me, the other player that I just, I, I keep on watching him and I just, I, I did not get the first round height that this guy was getting throughout the process. And it's kind of cooled down a little bit recently. But Keon White out of Georgia Tech, you know, I just, I did not get the first round hype. I just, I just, I don't know. You know, a guy who, you know, has a lot of size. Um, and the selling point on him was that he was this freak athlete who just would overwhelm and take over the combine when he got there. And he really didn't, you know, 6'5", 285, 34-inch arms. Like, on the surface, like, that's a really good size profile as, like, a kind of like a hybrid player between playing defensive end and defensive tackle at the next level. And the thinking was that he was going to absolutely dominate, but didn't run the 40-yard dash, didn't do three-cone drill, didn't do 20-yard shuttle, jumped 34-inch vertical, which is good, but nothing, like, spectacular, doesn't, like, Nothing like elite or anything like that. It's good for that size, I will say. But yeah, the selling point for a guy like Kim is that, you know, he's this freak athlete and yet he didn't run all the drills at the combine for testing, you know, that elite athleticism. So we'll see what happens at his pro day if we get anything, any indications there. 
Um, but the other thing about Keon White is that he's a 24 year old player who converted from tight end to defensive end um, during college. He's still very raw at the position. He's still developing here. So it, it depends on where we see him as a prospect. If we're talking about him as a first round talent, I cannot go there because as a first round guy, I want somebody who is a little bit more polished. And yes, I, I understand that guys like Lucas Van Ness, Terry Wilson, um, Nolan Smith, these guys aren't finished projects and, you know, they're going to take some time to develop as well, but they've already shown more of a pass rushing profile that can translate to the NFL than anything Keon White did at Georgia Tech um, and have, you know, traits that you can project to the NFL. Keon White doesn't really, hasn't really showcased many traits that I think project well to the NFL, at least on film from what I've seen so far. He has good size. He has good athleticism. But, I, I, again, I'm not sure if he has the full package there to, to where I feel comfortable with him as a first-round talent. Now, as a late second, early third-round guy, I think I can get behind taking the chance on him. But, again, as an older prospect, how much time are you willing to give him to develop the NFL? I think that's really the main question for him. So, talking about these overhyped guys, now let's get to our sleepers. You said, who's your one sleeper at the edge position in this draft? Honestly, and I feel like this is the pick for a lot of people, but – it's Zach Harrison from Ohio State for me. Now, when you look at Zach Harrison, he really reminds me of Sam Hubbard from a couple of years ago, who, again, was a guy who kind of slipped through the cracks but has gone on to be really productive at the next level. And looking at Zach Harrison, I mean, there is just a lot to like about him. The upside, I think, is off the charts, right? He's got really good size as well as length explosiveness is there and then just the pass rush moves that he uses you look at that and say he's got a wide variety and really he uses that to his advantage so he's basically a player who I think the pieces to the puzzle are right there in front of him and again he's not on the same level as some of these other Ohio State edge rushers that have been coming out over the last few years like the Bosa brothers or even Chase Young but he is about as good I think as it gets to what they've had over there in Columbus and really when you look at Zach Harrison too I mean he doesn't have the most loose or flexible hips, but the motor is there and he's able to get around the corner and just set the edge, right? So this is really a player. If I had to sum up Zach Harrison, I would say that he's the true gamble of the draft, but just a guy that is worth so much potential. It's almost like you might be missing out if you decide not to go ahead and draft him because his ceiling is that of a stud pass rusher but his floor is more so just a guy who ends up being a rotational player. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of mocks with him as like a early fourth round, late third round type of guy. And I think he's closer to like an early third, late second type of guy based off of what I've seen. Like, Dude has freakishly long arms. I think he has 36-inch arms, which, again, Iberflus and Poles are going to love that based off of what they talked about so far and some of the guys they targeted um, over the last two off-seasons. Um, but good athlete as well. Again, didn't have, like, a great pass rushing production in college, but you know what he's going to offer as a run defender. I think he's got a very high floor as a player. I think you know what you're getting out of him. It's just a matter of can you maximize him, maximize him as a pass rusher, but his floor is very high as a run defender in the NFL, and – for me, like that's easily a third round pick, you know, at, at the very minimum, I think for Zach Harrison, uh, for me, my edge, my edge sleeper is a guy that I don't see anybody talking about here, but Thomas Inku out of central Michigan, small school guy, um, really only had one big year in college, but it was a very productive year this past season, 43 pressures, 11.2% pressure rate. So not elite necessarily in terms of a per snap basis, but this guy got after it at a smaller level of competition. What I really like about Incum is that he has a very good baseline of tools to work with here as a developmental edge rusher. Um, you talk about a guy who six foot two, 260 pounds, 33 inch arms. So he passes the threshold in terms of the size and length that you want out of these guys um, translating to the next level. And then you look at some of the athleticism that he has around a four, six um, pretty good explosiveness for the most part, pretty good strength. Um, you watch him play and this guy, he has moves, he has bend, he has the ability to convert speed to power. I'll, I'll be it against a smaller level of competition, but there's, there are a lot of traits that I like in his game. That I think will translate well to the next level. It's about, can a coach take him in and really develop that skill set and get the most out of him? Because I think he's a player that plays with a lot of, you know, good energy, good hustle, um, a lot of ferociousness on each snap. And I think a lot of teams are going to like this guy as a developmental guy in the fifth round, maybe as, as I think the earliest he'll go. But again, for, if you can get a developmental guy that can really develop into a rotational piece for you in the fifth round, like I think that's a win for you. And Thomas Incum, I think has a lot of the physical traits that can translate the t- that type of a player. So we talked about some of the edge rushers in this draft class. Now it's trying time to transition to the interior defensive line and talk about some of our, um, best defensive tackles, I, said, I guess you could say, for this upcoming draft class. And let's start with our top five for this position group. Uh, you say it, I'll go to you. Who are your top five interior defensive linemen for this upcoming draft? Yeah, this is without a doubt a really interesting class too because if you were to talk to me right now and you were to talk to me a couple of weeks ago, I mean the consensus would obviously be that Jalen Carter is without a doubt the number one guy. Now, again, forget – just a second, forget for just a second the situation that's going on with Jalen Carter, right? That is an entire thing that needs to sort itself out. Part of it's been sorted out, part of it not really, but the reality is I still think Jalen Carter is the most talented defensive lineman in this class. You look at him as a player and there is so much to like because the athleticism's off the charts. You look at kind of his motor, just how fast he is, you know, his ability to get back into the backfield, just break running plays up before they even have a chance to develop. And then his ability to line up 
at multiple spots along the defensive line. You know, you're looking at there were times he was a three tech, which is a position the Bears need. There were times he was lined up at a zero tech right over the center, even a th- one tech or a five tech, right? So for Jalen Carter, I think that there's just so much versatility to his game. You combine the athlete he is with the traits he brings plus versatility, and you could make the argument he's probably the most complete defensive tackle prospect that's declared for the draft in the last couple of years. Number two is a guy that you have to really watch Pittsburgh football, I think, to be high on, but Kalija can see, you know, defensive tackle. He's a player that I've fallen in love with throughout this draft process. And I look at Cansey, I mean, the guy is without a doubt a force in the middle of a defensive line, but he's also kind of the spark plug that holds the defensive line together and really the guy that gets the entire defense going. I mean, he's got great flexibility at the hips. He's just so quick off the snap. I mean, got physicality and toughness to his game that quite frankly it's hard to kind of combat that. And then you look at the gap integrity and discipline he tends to play with. And really for Kansi, he's a great athlete, but he just understands the game of football so well. So it's very easy to fall in love with him. Like he did not go to and university of Pittsburgh's a pretty good football program, by the way, but he didn't go to some of the bigger programs like a Penn state or a Georgia or even a Clemson, but he really makes up for that with just how smart of a football player he is. Then number three, I mean, Brian Breesy, right? This is a guy who seems like he's going to be a classic, probably a five tech in a three, four defense playing similar to that, you know, Akeem Hicks role. And you look at him, you know, the length is obviously there as well as the strength. He plays with some good gap integrity. And then with Brian Breesy, you're just really gambling on the physical skill set that he brings to the table, right? Early on in college, he was kind of learning to use it. But now it's very clear that he's in a situation where, you know, he's learned to use his frame to his potential. Now, there is some versatility to his game because he can line up and play, you know, inside and outside. But I think ultimately at the next level, like Breezy's best fit's probably going to be on the outside. And then the last guy for me is, well, the second last guy is Gravon Dexter Sr. from Florida, a really big player, you know, 6'5", 325 pounds, going to be a guy who plays in a 3-4 at the next level. Um, you love the way that he just goes ahead and time snaps, right? Because the reality is that he gets into the backfield and is able to blow plays up in a jiffy. I think the speed is really there for him, and that's kind of one of his defining traits. It's just the ability to get off the ball so quickly, kind of blow plays up before they develop. And then the physicality that he plays with, you can tell he's a guy who is really disciplined, especially with a frame that big and then the last guy is probably my own personal favorite in this class but it's Baylor's Siaka Akai or Siaki Ika right I'm sorry for butchering that name but he's a guy where you know the versatility just really kicks in for him and why because he's you know primarily going to be playing probably a zero tech at the next level but you could argue if he kicks out to a one or a three tech he'll be just fine there too and you know for a guy as big as he is being six foot four 358 pounds i mean he's gonna eat up 
these rushing lanes that offensive linemen try to throw out. Now, my big concern with him is this, right? Is as big as he is, he's not the most athletic guy on the planet. So Ike is a guy who's really going to always be winning with his size, his tenacity, and just the physical nature of the game that he plays with, rather than really winning with solid technique and traits and defensive line play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, when we're looking at our top five, I think the top of our list are going to be the same here. Jalen Carter, for me, is still the number one player for me. And, you know, we got the information, I think it was last week, that it looks like Carter is, I, I don't know if it was a plea deal or something, but it sounds like his legal situation has been resolved uh, re- regarding the uh, speeding incident, uh, the, the uh, you know straight racing incident that he had that unfortunately resulted in the death of uh, – a couple of Georgia, you know, a couple of people and players associated with the Georgia program. Uh, we talked about that when we, t- when we were at the uh, NFL combo, or not at the NFL combo, but discussing the NFL combo and everything going on there earlier a couple of weeks ago. If you want to check out our episode there, but um, you know, it sounds like legally speaking that Jalen Carter is clear here. Um, but at the Georgia Pro Day, did not have a very good workout. I wonder if some of that is because of you know dealing with that you know legal situation. You know, whether that's something that kind of you know was on, you know, distracted him a little bit and made, made it so that he wasn't really focused on, you know, preparing for, um, you know, being in the best shape possible for his workouts at the pro, at his pro day. But regardless, like you look at the tape, like if we're just looking at Carter strictly from an on the field standpoint, and that's all I can do is, as someone who's um, not, doesn't have access to behind the scenes of these guys who can't talk to these guys personally, who doesn't talk to people who know these people personally, all I can do is evaluate what they do on the football field and when I watch Jalen Carter on the football field, for me, I see a guy who's the best player in this draft class, like regardless of position. Um, it, it's not really much of a debate for me. This guy is pure dominance on the football field. He's He's got every single tool you could ask for from an interior pass rusher. He's got power. He's got athleticism. He's got the ability to bend a little bit. Um, he's got good technique. Like he's got it all. And, you know, the stats may not back it you know, may not be flashy for him at Georgia because they run kind of a unique system and they rotate their defensive linemen a lot. But, you know, you look at his his pressure numbers, they stack up with every single interior defensive pass rusher in this draft class. You know, he had 32 pressures this past year despite missing some games due to injury, a 12% pressure rate, all good stuff for interior pass rushers. Um, th- this guy's the full package on the field. You just hope that some of the off-the-field stuff and character stuff, you know, doesn't, you know, take away from anything because if he can keep, you know, on the straight and narrow, this guy has potential to be a very special, you know, unique player at the next level, a future all pro. If he can, you know, get past this part of, you know, his life and, you know, focus on just maximizing himself as the best football player moving forward here, because the talent is all there. Um, number two for me, I have Kalicha Kansi as well out of Pittsburgh, you know, the, the main holdup for me, and he's kind of a tier below Carter, like Carter's in a tier of his own, similar to Anderson, but Cancy's kind of in a tier of his own too for me as well as that, you know, the other, you know, pure first round pick, first round talent in this defensive tackle class. 
Um, Cansey, he's an undersized guy. I think that's going to really, you know, hurt people, hurt him in a lot of people's evaluation because he doesn't really, he's not going to be someone that you want, you know, taking on double teams at the next level. He's going to be a bit of a liability, I think, in the run game in the NFL. But as a pass rusher, this guy is the best interior pass rusher in this draft class. You look at, from a purely a number standpoint, 47 pressures last year, 17% pre- pressure rate. That is by far, both those numbers, by far the best in this class when you look at how they produced last season. Can't see. Um, he's got quickness. He's got good technique. He's got tenacity. Um, he has some ability to convert speed to power against some of these interior guys. But again, he's got short arms. He's undersized, only about 280 pounds. He's a little bit of a short guy in general. So there are some physical limitations there. He's going to be a very scheme-dependent guy. I think for a team like the Bears, you know, he kind of fits to be that three-tech position as kind of an undersized player, but he's not someone that you want taking on double teams. He's not a guy that you want stacking and shake line scrimmage. You want him, you know, you know, creating penetration, getting up the field, getting to gaps, and, you know, trying to create havoc in the backfield. And he can certainly do that. There are just a few limitations for him at the next level that may keep him from being an elite player, but he can certainly be a very, very dang good starter in the NFL with maybe some pro potential if he can, you know, go to the exact right situation and maximize his ability. So for me, those are two surefire first-round talents for me in this draft class, a defensive tackle, for my other three, all three of these guys kind of fit into the – well, the, this next guy fits into that mold, but the next two are pure second-round guys. But my next guy here, um, uh, Aditomila Adeboare out of Northwestern. You know, he's, he's someone who lit it up at the uh, NFL Combine. When you look at his 40-yard dash, let me pull it up here because it's ridiculous, his workout at, at the 40-yard dash. A guy in Northwestern played defensive end um, in college, but – I think he bet he best fits as a t- defensive tackle um, in a four, three scheme at the next level as kind of that three tech role that the bears are looking for, but elite athleticism ran a four, four, nine, 40 yard dash at 280 pounds at, at, at the NFL combine. Ridiculous 37 and a half vertical jump, 10 and a half inch broad jump, 27 reps on the bench press with 33 uh, inch arms, nearly 34 inch arms. Like from a fiscal standpoint, this guy has every physical tool set you want from interior pass rusher. He just did not get the chance to showcase that at Northwestern because they had him playing a very specific role in their scheme as a run defending defensive end. So when he got his chances at the senior bowl in particular um, to pin his ear back ears back and really answer the quarterback, you saw the ability that he has. He has the ability to be a very, very good pass rusher at the next level. We just haven't seen it enough to where I feel comfortable as him being a surefire first round talent. It wouldn't surprise me if a team does take him in the first round because of those physical traits and the athletic tools that he has available to him. But it's all projection right now. So you have to be comfortable with him if you're taking him high that he's going to be able to reject to being a defensive lineman in the interior at the next level. From a number four guy, he's another guy who late first round, early second round. But Brian Breezy out of Clemson, um, you know, if we were talking about before the year, I think I would have had him higher, but he did not have a great 2022 season. I still think he's dealing with, you know, the knee injury that he had going into the year. Um, you know, and for me, the biggest concern for me is injuries in general. Like when I watched his 22 tape, it looked like he, like he had it fully healed from that knee injury. Whenever he was running, it looked like he was running with a limp at all times. He kind of looked like he was favoring that knee, you know, quite a bit. So I wonder if he's still 100% healthy. He's a good athlete, very talented pass rusher has inside outside versatility. I'm just not sure. I, I, I just 
question the health and I question whether, you know, he's a, you know, three down player at the next level because he is a bit of a liability against the run as well. Not somebody that I feel comfortable with as being a full-time starter right away, but there are certainly some intriguing traits there as well. And then from number five, I had trouble kind of picking between these two guys. So I'm just, just going to both include them here. They're similar players, but Mazzy Smith out of Michigan and Keanu Benson out of Wisconsin, two big 10 nose tackles here. Um, Benson right now is the better pass rusher of the two. They had 28 pressures last year, 12% pressure rate for Wisconsin. But Mazzy Smith, for my money, is the best run defending defensive tackle in this draft class, a pure nose tackle who has some flexibility to play across the defensive line a little bit, has pass rushing potential as well. Um, but, you know, just both these guys are great athletes. They have good physical traits. They can defend the run. You know, both just offer something a little bit different as that one-tech, zero-tech guy in this draft class. So I feel comfortable with both of them as second round picks. I would not take them in the first round, but in the second round, I think that's the best value for those two guys. Um, so speaking of value, let's get into our sleepers and overhyped guys. Um, you said, who's your overhyped guy for this defensive tackle class and who's your sleeper for this interior group? Yeah. So for overhyped and I'll get that out of the way first, I personally think it's Byron young from Alabama. I mean, the thing with him is this, right? Is He's smaller than you probably would like. I think it's also going to limit him in terms of scheme fit because he's about 6'3", 292. But, and while that seems big to some people, I mean, the thing is you have to understand is I don't see him fitting into a 3-4 necessarily. I think he's going to be limited to a 4-3 scheme at the next level, even though 3-4 guys typically tend to be much bigger. But the reality with him is this, right? Is It's just like you love the strength that he has in the lower half of his body, right? And he's pretty solid against the run. But overall, just as a player, I think that the athleticism is not necessarily there. And so while he seems like a solid run defender, I think he relies on his frame too much, Whereas he's not just a natural guy that's going to kind of go out there and make plays, especially as a pass rusher. It's hard to see him ever rushing and getting consistent pressure from the interior of the defensive line. And so really when you look at Byron Young, I mean, he's a guy that some people love, but I also think that he gets more credit than he deserves simply because he is an Alabama football player. And then in terms of my over. I'm sorry, in terms of my sleeper guy, like it's Keanu Benton for me. Because when you look at Keanu Benton, I think he's amongst the top names in this class, just being a pure run defender. Now, Benton's a player who, offensive linemen, it's hard for them to kind of move Benton off the line of scrimmage and just he keeps his feet moving consistently. I mean, the size is there at 6'4", 3'15". And, you know, really, he's an ideal run defender. He's a pretty solid pass rusher as well. And then you can kind of just see the high motor that he plays with on every single snap. Now, I look at him and I say, where is he going to fit at the next level? Um, He's not good enough to the point where he's versatile. I think it's either a zero or a one tech that he ends up playing, but just the natural strength that he has that's there. I mean, it's amongst the top in this class across the defensive line prospects. Yeah, for me, I'll start with my overhyped guy as well. Um, my overhyped guy is actually your your fifth best defensive tackle, uh, Siaki Ika out of Baylor. I just I wasn't a fan when I sat down and watched him uh, the past couple of years 
and you look at his physical profile, short, stout, stocky guy, big guy, but has short little arms. Um, not a very good athlete, did not test well at the combine. Um, and I just question, you know, I think he's not as good of a run, as, a, as a run defender as a guy like Mazzy Smith or Keanu Benson. Um, and I question, you know, his pass rushing upside. Whereas I think Mazzy Smith and Keanu Benton have pretty dang good pass rushing upside. I'm not sure about Ika. I think he's a two-down run defender at the next level. And I'm not sure if he has the ability to be an impact pass rusher um, on third downs as a nose tackle type. So for me, he's getting a lot of second round buzz. I wouldn't take him to like the late third round, probably. Um, just, just That's just the way that I see him right now. Um, again, just some of these guys in this, on this defensive tackle list have more physical upside than him. And then um, for my sleeper, I really like uh, Kobe Turner out of Wake Forest, a guy who is more of a pass rushing type, um, 34 pressures, 10.5% pressure rate this past year. So that stacks up against some of the better um, pass rushing defensive tackles in this draft class, um, but a very good run defender as well. He just has, he's just a very well-rounded defensive tackle. He has inside outside versatility. He played a little bit of four eye at Wake Forest. He played some one tech at, at Wake Forest. So he can play all across the interior there. Um, I, I was very intrigued. Nice. I'm seeing him mocked in a lot in the fifth round here. I would take him in the third round. Like I think he has a lot of physical ability. I haven't seen his testing numbers. I haven't really been able to find it. It looked like he didn't test at the combine. So I'm curious to see what type of an athlete he is, but just based off of tape, what I, what I have right available to me right now, he looks like he's going to translate well to the NFL and be a good player. Um, so now that we've talked about some of these prospects here, you know, to end this podcast, you're saying we are running a little bit low on time here, but just real quickly, you know, the bears, I think we all expect them to be a little bit more active in addressing defensive line this offseason. It was a major need for this team going into the year. And so far, haven't really addressed it as much in free agency. Their biggest signing was Demarcus Walker for the Tennessee Titans. Got him on a three-year, $21 million deal to kind of be that versatile defensive end, defensive tackle type of player um, who can defend the run on early downs on the outside and then kick inside for pass rushing downs. And then they signed Andrew Billings to be a true one-tech, you know, run-stopping type um, who, you know, doesn't bring a lot as a pass rusher, but he's a very, very good run defender, bring him in a one-year deal. You know, this is a position group that I thought they would be addressing, you know, much more aggressive at addressing. You know, we talked about before free agency, Javon Hargrave, uh, Dremont Jones, Zach Allen being options for him to be the three-tack position, you know, Marcus Davenport on the edge, some of these other offensive ends. And there's some still some guys that they might address. Um, they might sign to address those spots, but clearly right now the plan is to address this in the draft. And I think that's the way I see this. You say it right now is that I expect the bears to be very active at addressing defensive line in the draft, especially how, with how talented and deep this class is. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're right. I mean, it starts and ends in the trenches and, this is, again, I know I sound like a broken record saying this, but you just catch on to tendencies that exist, right? And one of the major tendencies that exists for Brian Poles, Matt Eberflus, as well as Ian Cunningham is it's like the organizations they come from built the trenches primarily through the NFL draft. Now, yes, there were a handful of trades slash free agent signings there but really much of the focus came through the draft and I think just when you look across the league in general the San Francisco 49ers are the biggest example of a team that just builds the trenches through the NFL draft right with all the talent that they have there so 
the Bears, I think, are going to follow a similar format, right? When you have such a key and premium piece and a position such as defensive line and edge rusher, again, two premium positions in the NFL today, it makes sense to dish out a fat contract to a veteran. But let's just be real. I mean, there were not really any quote-unquote game-changing edge rushers or defensive linemen available in free agency, especially once Deron Payne decided he was going to sign back with the commanders. So the reality of it just comes down to the fact that, you know, it makes more sense that you have rookies on cheap deals for the next three to four years that are kind of forming the foundation of a healthy and solid football team compared to just dishing out a fat contract for an older guy who, again, has been in the league a couple of years, has some wear and tear on him, and you know, there's no guarantee that that free agent signing even pans out. So, kind of get back to your original point. Like, I'm not surprised the Bears want to go to the NFL draft and address edge rusher and defensive line. It's just the most logical place to do so with how much talent and depth there is in this year's class. Yeah, I think when you look at this right here, I think defensive line is going to be their top priority in the stretch and. You know, from the second to fourth round, it's really a sweet spot for the strats in terms of finding value um, to address both the edge and defensive tackle positions. Um, you know, in the first round, they very well could take a defensive lineman then. Like Lucas Van Ness is going to be probably available. Tyree Wilson may be available. If Jalen Carter slips in the draft, I would expect him to be very high on the Bears board, even with the off-field concerns. Um, if he drops all the way to nine, like he could be the pick there. Me personally, it, it seems like to me that the vibe I'm getting right now is that the Bears are probably going to go offensive tackle at nine. Um, you know, I'm looking at Paris Johnson, Peter Skronsky, some of those top offensive tackles in this year's class. I expect the Bears to go offense um, in the first round. So that leads to second, I think, is probably going to be the main spot where the Bears address this. And you look at the picks they have in the, on day two. They have the 53rd pick, the 61st pick and the 64th pick. And they have a lot of opportunity to do some damage there and to really address um, the trenches on the, on the defensive side of the ball because I think a lot of these guys that we talked about are going to be available to them um, in that area of the draft. Like Keanu Benson, I expect to be available. We'll see if you know Felix um, Uzoma will be available in that portion of the draft. He's kind of projected as a second-round guy right now. Mazzy Smith is getting first round hype. We'll see what happens with him, but you know, he's going to be a second round talent presumably as well, but yeah, there's a lot of intriguing, a lot of intriguing talents um, in on the day two portion of this draft. Like Zach Harrison could be a third round option for, for the bears if he's there. Uh, we talk about some of these other guys here that could be options. So um, even some guys that we not talk about BGL Jalari, I could see as an option for the bears on day two of the draft. If he's there at 53 and that's the thing, I'm not sure, you know, who's going to be there. It, it seems to me, the feeling that I'm getting here is that they're going to, you know, take the best player available at nine, probably enough offensive tackle at this point, the bears may need to trade up. I think to get one of these top edge rushers or defensive tackles early in the second round, if they want to get one of these guys, I think, because, you know, it's a very talented group and it's very deep, but you know, once you get past some of these impact guys near the top, it, you know, it does start to, you know, level out a little bit to where I don't feel as confident about getting an impact guy, you know, as we get further along in the draft. And, um, you know, if you want a sure thing, maybe trading up is an option, but, you know, do, 
as the Bears, you need as many picks as you can. Would you do that in that situation? I'm not, I'm not too sure. So it's an interesting thing to talk about. But regardless, I think day two of the draft is where we're going to see a lot of defensive linemen being picked by the Bears because they need to address that. They haven't done really anything to meaningfully add talent to that group. And, you know, they can go out of this offseason, the Bears, getting a number one wide receiver in D.J. Moore, you know, getting a young off the tackle in the first round to pair you know, with Braxton Jones and what he did last year as a fifth round pick, while also some of the guys, you know, Nate Davis, who they signed in free agency and some of the talent that they have there in the interior to kind of shore up that offensive line. And then if they can get two or three guys on the defensive line to kind of, you know, get younger at that group and kind of overhaul that unit, that would be a very successful offseason. Not even to mention what they did at linebacker in this draft. That would be a very good offseason for uh, this team and we'll see what ends up happening. Certainly it's very exciting, but regardless, I think both you and I both agree that defensive line should be a huge emphasis in the upcoming draft. And it's just a matter of how they decide to go about it, about it. But it wouldn't surprise us is it wouldn't surprise us if the bears add three to four players on the defensive line for this upcoming class, because it, it is a very deep group and certainly one that the Bears should take advantage of. Um, all right, so we're getting late here in the podcast, so I think it's time to wrap it up for us here for this episode. Um, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to follow us, a like, rate, subscribe, and review on all of our plot, podcasting platforms here for the Bear Report on Blue Wire. Um, make sure to give us a follow on social media at Twitter, at Christopher Pulls um, on Twitter there, um, where we're doing some more updates as you know, the draft process goes along here as we get closer to the draft. The draft is only about a month and over a month away. So it's, it's getting close. It's going to start ramping up very shortly here um, for sure. Uh, you say it for all of our listeners out there, uh, where can they find you on social media and where can they find your work? Yeah. So you guys can follow me on social media at Usaid Koshal. You can check out my work on the Bay report. Going to have more NFL draft stuff coming up here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give you say to follow. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work on the Bay report as well. Can be very busy uh, with scouting reports over the next month or so and mock draft stuff. So definitely take a look out for that on the bear report um, for all of our listeners here today. Thank you once again for tuning into our podcast and tuning into all of our positional previews. Uh, we're very excited to get through this pre-draft process because once we get through the next few weeks or so, the draft, it's coming up quickly. I know we're all excited for it, but until next time, Bears fans, have yourself a great weekend and bear down.